After a summer of frustration after frustration after frustration, Mexico dropped its World Cup qualifying roster over the weekend, and there are some big, I mean big names missing. We try and figure out how L3 can make up for a lot of lost star power. No shortage of star power for the U.S. men, led by Christian Pulisic, who is back to training in Nashville after some time in quarantine. Coming up, we'll ask if Captain America should really be America's captain. And stop me if you've heard this before. Another El Trafico for the ages. LAFC and the Galaxy putting on an absolute show in a rivalry that never disappoints. All that and much more starting now on Football Americas. Welcome into the show. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. Herc, I was just thinking about it. What a weekend we had. MLS Rivalry Week finishing up with a blast. We had number one against number two down in Liga Mekis. Plus, we got World Cup qualifiers starting this week. Has there ever been a better time in our little corner of the soccer universe? Uh, not yet. It seems like it gets better and better. You said Mexico had a frustrating, frustrating, frustrating summer like three times. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm okay. I think, are we in fall yet? Has, have we turned the calendar to fall? When is the first day of fall? We should, we should find that out. Uh, we're going to be discussing all of that and much more on today's edition of the podcast. By the way, the podcast today will be historic because for the first time ever, we're going to have exclusive bonus material in the pod. You're going to hear a Julian Green interview a little bit later in this show. You'll hear about nine minutes of it here. You're going to hear the full 26 minutes until literally Julian Green was like, I'm done with you, Herc. He pulled the plug on his internet and ended the interview. But we got a good 26 minutes out of him, didn't we? We got a great 26 minutes out of him. We covered everything. Be sure to check out the podcast. Keep us going because uh, it gives me a job. So I'm happy. Yeah, that helps too, <laughs> right? You can find it in the ESPN FC, uh, in your Apple Music, your Spotify, wherever you do. Get your podcast. All right, let's start the show then with the, uh, the big news from the weekend. Mexico, after a, a long, long wait, finally dropping their Olympic roster. A 28 players name for Tata Martino. Now, at first, Herc, we saw Raul Jimenez in the list. Uh, unfortunately, today we find out he's out of the list. Apparently, Wolverhampton is not going to let him go because it would cost them another 10 days of quarantine on the back end. So Raul Jimenez then replaced by Santi Jimenez. But really, the story with this Mexican roster, my goodness, is who's missing. No Chucky Lozano, no Hector Herrera, no Diego Linus. On top of the aforementioned, no Raul Jimenez. This is, this is crisis alert, isn't it, for Mexico? Yes. If Mexican fans, pundits, either literally grasping at straws or trying to point the finger, trying to figure out what's going on. There have been conflicting reports about Raul Jimenez. Some have already closed the door. Some are leaving a sliver of hope that Wolverhampton and the Mexican Federation come to some sort of agreement and that Raul Jimenez can make that trip. It doesn't look good. It's a lot of star power. You mentioned the star power. That's a lot of veteran presence right there. That's a lot of important players missing for the Mexican national team. So Mexico, of course, opening at home on Thursday against Jamaica before road trips to Costa Rica and Panama. For more on this roster, let's welcome in our good friend Mauricio Pedrosa. Really uh, much more than a good friend here on Football Americas. We were celebrating in our production meeting. We've hit like 50 or 51 episodes of the show. Mao, without you, I think we would still be somewhere in the 30s. So I hope you truly feel at home here in your segunda casa. I, I feel at home. Uh, I think of you as my parents, not as my brother, because you guys are older than me. But I, but I do feel at home, and I'm always happy to be here. Good to have you. All right, so let's get to uh, our segment here. Three questions. Three questions on El Tri Mexicano. Ah, let's start smart. with Raul Jimenez, uh, who we thought was going to be a part of this group when the roster first dropped. But as we just explained, he has since been replaced by Santi Jimenez. So this is a player who, look, has only played Mao a handful of times since fracturing his skull a little bit over nine months ago. How much will he actually be missed, do you think, in these three matches? Not much, to be honest with you. I think uh, the Federation, the national team, Tata Martino, they had to take their shot and call him up regardless of what the situation in the end would look like. And now it's looking like he's not going to play the first three games of the World Cup qualifiers. So the first game versus Jamaica at Estadio Azteca, no fans in the stands, uh, but it shouldn't be a problem. You guys just touched on how many players from Jamaica, from Jamaica are not going to be able to make the travel. So Mexico should win that game. And then 
playing at Costa Rica, at Panama. To be honest, not the best versions of either of those national teams, so it should be enough. It does come as a surprise that the replacement for Raul Jimenez will be who we now we call the big baby, El Bebote, Santi Jimenez. But, but Mexico should be all right without Raul Jimenez because the plan B is Rogelio Funes Mori, and we all know what Tata Martino thinks of Rogelio Funes Mori. We, he already proved himself for the national team during the summer. I know he didn't score as many goals as we would have expected, but he looked okay. So plan B should be enough for Tata Martino for this free, uh, first three games of the qualifiers. The thing Mark, here, you agree. The thing here, Seb, it's not if he will be missed because you have enough talent to get you over the hump versus mm. a, a Jamaica team that's going to come in limping to Estadio Azteca. And yeah, maybe not the best versions of Panama and Costa Rica, but they are playing at home. The thing is here, if you're Tata Martino... This is a missed opportunity of having Raul Jimenez, a player who's shown you that he's physically capable now of the expectations of the Premier League to get himself back in a place where he's comfortable and maybe can be confident. When you're a striker, confidence is key. What better way to gain confidence if you're already playing at the Premier League level than these tune-up matches, like boxing, a tune-up fighter, a tune-up match. You get Raul Jimenez playing against lesser opposition because that's what CONCACAF will be compared to the Premier League. Maybe a goal or two, his confidence comes up. This was a great opportunity of Tata Martino seeing exactly for himself firsthand where Raul Jimenez was at physically and mentally, and now he won't have that. Mm. To me, this comes to how much faith you have in Rogelio Funes Mori. And I got to say, after the Gold Cup, on a scale of yeah. 1 to 10, I'm probably somewhere between a 5 and a 6. I look at those knockout round games. He played 280 minutes, Rogelio Funes Mori, against CONCACAF competition, right? Basically the same type of level he's going to be going against here. Honduras, Canada, U.S., he scored one goal in 280 minutes. I'm sorry if I'm not 100% sold on Rogelio Funes Mori. And beyond that, I would say this. Guys, Wolves are not starting Raul Jimenez as a charity case. They're starting him because he's the best option for a Premier League team. Mexico is not deep enough now for, for a guy who's the best option for any Premier yep. League team to be, to be well just thrown away and discarded and say they're not going to miss him, right? It, well, I, I agree with that. You're not wrong. But at the same time, I'll say this. His performance during the Gold Cup. And I know from a number nine, the thing you come to expect is goals, right? That's how we're going to evaluate a player playing that position, the number nine position. But remember what Tata Martino expects from a player like Raul Jimenez and a player like Rogelio Funes Mori. He expects those players to be more involved in the creation of offensive play and also trying to finish. So the fact that Rogelio Funes Mori was a good fit, it gives me the confidence to believe that with him, it should be enough to get at least seven out of those nine points in play, which obviously playing CONCACAF qualifiers, we all know that, it's, it's crucial how, how you start. Now, if Rogelio Funes Mori is not good enough, then you have Henry Martin who played well with the Olympic team and who has been playing well with Club America and who can also be part of this build-up, creating opportunities for the team. So, again, I understand what you said, what Herc said about trying to get Raul Jimenez more involved and getting the confidence that he's been missing for almost a year. But it's World Cup qualifiers. You need players. You need players that are grinders. And that's going to be Henry Martin and Rogelio Funes Mori. The team should be okay without uh, Raul Jimenez. Henry Martin is not actually a goal scorer at the senior level. And Raul Jimenez, like, newsflash, the most productive year and a half for Raul Jimenez in his career was this last year and a half before he got injured when he was scoring goals with the Mexican national team and with Wolverhampton. Before that, he was exactly the same type of player that we're talking about, Henry Martin and Funes Mori. He was a very good nine to help others out, but not necessarily productive. Let's get to the uh, second of our three questions here on the Mexican national team. Well, we know there's a lot of star power missing, right? No Chucky, no Achache, no Diego Lainez, no Jimenez. Uh, but there were some stars at the Olympics as well. Guys like Sebastián Córdoba, Luis Roma, Alexis Vega, the players that you see there on the screen. Hurt and Mao. And Mao, I'll start with you. Is that enough? Is there enough from those Olympic guys stepping up to the senior national team now to replace the superstars that are missing for Mexico? Yes, yes, it is enough. It has to be enough. How, I mean, for how how many years are we gonna take from Andres Guardado? How many more games are we gonna demand from Hector Herrera, from Jonathan dos Santos, 
Now it's the time to create a change. And, and it, it is time to take advantage of this generation who played really well under Jimmy Lozano. And I was trying to come up with a lineup using most of those players. I'm very sorry that Johan Vasquez is going to miss out because of an injury. But to me, he has to be a starter next mm. to Nestor Araujo. I'm pretty confident Luis Romo, I know he's not under 23, but he was part of that Olympic team. He could be a starter for this national team. No question that if, it's, if there is no Hector Herrera, Sebastián Córdoba has to take the spot. No Chucky Lozano, no problem. Alexis Vega can fill that spot. And if Tecatito Corona doesn't show up, by the way, Te Tecatito Corona did not make the flight from Portugal to Mexico. He, he was expected and he was not there. Then you have Uriel Antuna and Orbelín Pineda, who was part of the Gold Cup team. It's time for a change at the mm. senior national team from Mexico, and they have to use those players that won the bronze medal at the Olympics. I understand it's time for a change, but do you want to move on from Héctor Herrera? I mean, what he can do on the field. Do you want to move on from Chucky Lozano? How effective he can be for me? Do you want to move on from Diego Linus, who's been probably the best 12th man uh, in CONCACAF when it comes to this, this summer and this summer, especially for Mexico? Do you want to move on for those players? Do you want to go to unprovens <laughs> like Alexis Vega at the senior national team level, like uh, Sebastián Cordova, like Luis Romo, who's 26, who's been well, very good at Liga Mekis and very good U23 tournament at the Olympics? I think there's a time to move on. There's a way to progress to that, if you will, uh, coming to the ages and having the next generation step up. But it's not in World Cup qualifiers. You don't want to start off behind the eight ball. This goes by very quickly, and we've seen it before. You don't start off with the right foot like Mexico have done, like the U.S. can. It, it hurts you. Can't deny it's a huge opportunity for these guys. I mean, Luis Romo's never getting in that starting midfield with Achiacha in there, with all the depth that they have in midfield. But I could see Luis Romo getting an opportunity and becoming a lockdown starter for Tata Martino with as well as he's played at Cruz Azul. The other two guys, I, I want to see them just for the shop window. I know we're coming to the end of the, of the transfer window here, but Cordova and Alexis Vega for me are two guys that are, are running out of time. They're 24, 23 respectively. I want to see them get minutes here because I think if it doesn't lead to a move now, it could lead to it in, in the winter. Those are two guys who, who are are ready to move. And I think sometimes the international game is the only way to really spark that interest. Let's go to the third and final question here, at least the three questions that have to do with El Tri. Let's talk snubs, specifically Carlos Salcedo. We know he had a very public dust-up with one of Tata's assistants uh, at the Gold Cup at the final. And Gerardo Arteaga, who we remember uh, turned down not just the Gold Cup, but the Olympics as well due to personal reasons earlier this summer. Mal, there's always a little something more with these Mexican <laughs> national team call-ups. Is there more to the story here than just sporting decisions when it comes to Salcedo and Arteaga being left off? Yes, no doubt. And I'll start off with Carlos Salcedo. Uh, us three, we were at the Gold Cup final and we all saw that video of Carlos mm -hmm. Salcedo having a very, very uncomfortable conversation with Jorge Tyler, who's part of uh, Tata Martino's staff. And it was later reported that uh, the, the assistant, Jorge Taylor, was very upset because Salcedo didn't look ready. And it's not that he just didn't look ready to jump on the field when Hector Moreno needed to be sub, but there was also part of his behavior during the, the Gold Cup that led the coaching staff to make this decision. He, they just didn't want him to be around the national team for a World Cup qualifier. It concerns me a lot with Gerardo Arteaga's case because Car Carlos Salcedo, there are three or four players who can play that mm. position, but that, there are not many left backs at hand for Tata Martino. And Gerardo Arteaga has been playing really well. And the report also says that, uh, yeah, the fact that he turned down those opportunities because he wanted to be ready to start the season uh, at the Belgian league also was a cause for concern for the coaching staff and they have decided not to call him up. Mm. Uh, there, is no, there is no tactical reason to have him uh, missing this very important game, but it concerns me that now we have Chicharito Hernandez, Carlos mm. Vela, Salcedo, Arteaga, it was uh, Tecatito Corona at some point. H -H. Non-sporting decisions. Yeah, yeah H -H. 
So it's 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 very concerning that that these things keep happening to Tata Martino. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I was going to go along that sentiment. Also, you could include Jesus Gallardo, who there have also been multiple reports that sure. Tata Martino has been unhappy with his performances and his demeanor as of late as well. Going to Artiaga because I think Carlos Salcedo is pretty evident. He didn't have the greatest of tournaments, uh, and then he had that sideline incident with the assistant coach, and now he's not here. I've seen players play themselves out of starting 11s for their playing ability, but never a player play himself out of an actual 18 or 23, if you will, in this case. So that leads me to believe it's attitude. It leads me to believe it's Tata Martino not liking what he seems, sees from this player on the attitude side. Artiaga is a whole nother thing because we don't really know why he declined the call-up. We've heard Artiaga himself say, you wouldn't understand. It's very personal reasons I won't get into right now. So it leads me to believe it has nothing to do with him wanting to stay at Genk. It's him not going to the Olympics. And for whatever reason, and I'm with, I'm with right here, Mauricio, one million percent, is Tata Martino has these attitude problem tendencies with players. Mm-hmm. First it was mm-hmm. Tecatito Hernandez, and then he got into it with Sergio Conceição. Then it was Acha, Acha, Hector Herrera, and then he didn't call him in for a while. Then it was Miguel Ayun and Chicharito. Then it was Gallardo. Then it was now it's Artiaga. It's always something. Carlos something Vela. is going on. Carlos Vela. It's always something. That should be worrisome if you're a fan. Uh, let, let me ask this question then, and, I, and I'll pose it to you, Mauricio. Is Tata Martino with all these bans, uh, with all these, you know, putting players on kind of his bad list and not calling them in, is he going too far or is he actually doing what the Mexican national team has needed to be done for the last 20 or 30 years? Because we always hear of the ill-discipline of the Mexican players, especially when they're with the national team, there Mauricio. Is. So there you is this are, actually Tata Martino doing the dirty work that hasn't been done for the last couple decades? Yeah. That's an excellent question, and we've had it both ways. Because with Juan Carlos Osorio, the word on the street was that he was very permissive with the players, right? So the, it was a very relaxed discipline, and he was okay with it as long as he saw results on the field. Tata Martino is having this no-nonsense approach to call-ups and to how he handles the team during long uh, tournaments like the Gold Cup and now World Cup qualifiers. So I, I believe that Tata Martino has realized that he has a core that he's going to keep. And that starts with Guillermo Choa, Hector Moreno. HH eventually will come back to the team. Raul Jimenez eventually will come back. So as long as that core stays okay with his decisions, he's going to be fine and he have no problem leaving players out like Arteaga and Carlos Alcedo. But yeah, I mean, I believe that that's going to be his approach. And if he works on the field, if he gets nine out of nine points, he's going to keep doing it. Yeah. Right, we'll see how it goes uh, Thursday in Azteca against Jamaica. Mal, while we have you here, let's talk some Liga Mekis. A couple of big games over the weekend. We'll focus on Chivas Necaxa. Not so much a big game uh, as a controversial one. Chivas won 2-1. to one. Their first goal... Shouts of a Pollo Briseño handball like very, very early in the build-up. But we'll leave that for now. The second Chivas goal comes in the 103rd minute. That's correct. That's how much stoppage time there was. It's on a penalty. It's not just any penalty. It's on the second try because Ángel Saldívar had his first shot saved by Luis Malagón. Our Chivas, and this is probably a complaint that, that, has, been, that has been leveled against every big team in every league in the world, is Chivas getting special treatment from the Liga MX referees. <laughs> Sebi, are you speaking of the famous Chivar? Chivar, as we call it in Mexico? Uh, no, I, I, don't, I don't believe that's the case. Yes, you know, important teams, bigger teams are always favored just because. And it happens everywhere. It happens in the Mexican League. It happens in the Premier League. It happens in Spain. Now, in this very specific game, I agreed with the decision. To me, it is a penalty. And mm-hmm. then they had to replay the PK because Malagón had two steps off the line. And the rule is the rule. Um, it looks weird. Yeah, it does. Especially because that wing actually can keep Victor Manuel Bucetich employed mm-hmm. as Chivas manager. It was controversial. But there have been some other instances in which Chivas has been affected by VAR decisions. So I do not believe there's a clear line to favor them um, with uh, decisions like this. But the big consequence to me, it is the fact that Busetich at least 
bought some time with that victory against Nikaxa. This is an evident... Obviously, of course, of course they're being. But you could, you've already mentioned you can go Barcelona, Real Madrid, you can go United City, you can go any team in the world, big league in the world. You're going to find these tendencies with the big teams. Unfortunately, right now, Chivas is still considered a big team, even they don't play like it. This is why we have to go into the 113th minute. I mean, I'm sorry, 13 minutes, 103 minutes, 13 minutes after the 90th minute is when this penalty is taken. It's when the call is made. Why are you doing 13 minutes of actual extra time? Of course this happens. This happens all over the world, and Chivas is not the exception. I thought it was a very soft penalty call. Anytime you slow things down, it looks worse. This this rule is the most idiotic rule, the penalty kick rule with the goalkeepers are already at a disadvantage. They want to put him more at a disadvantage. It's, it's ridiculous to me, but I agree with you. It's just buying Vucetich Another few weeks, if you will, because Fecha FIFA, what is this FIFA fixture date of life? That's all it's doing. Uh, let's be honest. The question shouldn't really be, do Chivas get special treatment from the refs? It should be, do Chivas still deserve the special treatment that they get from the refs? <laughs> Herc, in our production meeting, what did you call them? The, the what of Mexico? My, my producer got very angry. He, I called him <laughs> the arsenal of Mexico, and he about hung up and almost reached <laughs> through the phone. Yeah. He was, he was very wow. upset. He didn't want to talk about it anymore. He started attacking America. I have nothing to do with Club America. That's all said. Yeah. It was a really, really strange conversation. All right, we will uh, we'll leave it there for now. Mauricio Pedrosa, thanks as always for the time. You can catch him Monday through Friday on ESPN Deportes on Ahora Nunca with Hercules Gomez. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Christian Pulisic is back at training with the team in Nashville, of course, last week. He was in quarantine after a positive COVID-19 test. Obviously, he has now cleared covid protocols ahead of the match Thursday against El Salvador. Big, big, and very good news for the U.S., Herc. Massive news. The biggest news you could have if you're a U.S. men's national team fan. Uh, Greg Berhalter himself, it's your best player, the face of the organization, the face of soccer in this country. He's ready to go. He is healthy, and he will be there. Well, Christian Pulisic, no doubt, one of the leaders on this U.S. team, but it is the start of the next qualifying cycle. So let's hammer down, let's lock in who that leader should really be. A lot of discussions around who the captain for the U.S. men's national team should be. For these three games, with pretty much Herc, everybody in the pool at Greg Berhalter's disposal, who do you want to see wearing the armband? Let me start by saying I absolutely hate this musical chairs with the captain's armband from Greg Berhalter. It drives me nuts. It should be cherished. It should be respected. It actually means something. You don't go passing it around like it's a carrot. Don't dangle in front of a player's face like it's a carrot. Like, hey, try harder. You can be the captain. Let's motivate these players. No. We've seen eight different, probably more different captains under Greg Berhalter. I'm going to throw some names at you. Will Trapp. Mm. Okay, Tim Ream, Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, Paul Ariola, they've all been captains under Greg Berhalter. This needs to mean something. Now, if you're asking me who should be the captain, I've got only one name, one name only. That's Tyler Adams. When I look at Tyler Adams, I see the future. I see the future captain. I see leadership. I see a man who wants the responsibility. We've interviewed Tyler Adams before here at ESPN. We've ran YouTube and digital segments with Tyler Adams. I asked him myself, do you want to be the captain of this team? Yes. With all his heart, that's what he wants the most. When you talk about a player that is well-respected, that has the attributes, that speaks to that, that plays with that conviction, it's Tyler Adams. There is nobody who convinced me that Tyler Adams isn't the future of the captaincy for the U.S. men's national team. 
Okay, I love Tyler Adams, but only one choice, only one choice. That one. seems a little bit uh, exaggerated. Let me play devil's advocate here just on, on Adams real quick. The only knock on him that I can see is the availability, yes, correct. right? Like he has not been around yeah. all that much with the national team. He's had a lot of injuries. I think you could even maybe say moving forward, there's some concerns about how injuries might impact his availability with the national team. I think beyond that, Herc, he wasn't a part of the, of, well, he was a part of it. But he wasn't as key a part of it as some other guys, the, the kind of seminal moments that we had over the summer against Mexico. I think those moments are where your leaders are really born. And that's why I'm going to suggest first a guy like Weston McKinney, because I think we have seen Weston McKinney. If you want that fiery brand of leadership, you almost have to consider him, right? Um, he's not just fiery, Herc, but we also see him keep his cool in those critical moments. I'll take you back. I mean, he loves, he's always getting choked by Mexican players, right? <laughs> 2019 Gold Cup final, it's Andres Guardado. Uh, this past Gold Cup final, it's Hector Herrera. And yet, Weston McKinney keeps his cool. Oh, oh, by the way, in the Nations League final, excuse me, the Nations League final, not the Gold Cup final, um, it's him that sparks the comeback. Without him, I don't think the U.S. Is, is even remotely in that game. It's really him off those set pieces that makes the difference. For me, he's an obvious suggestion if you know he's going to be in the lineup and maybe you have questions about Tyler Adams. So there are different types of leaders. He's an emotional leader. There, he's, mm -hmm. You know those guys who are glue Adams guys is in an emotional room. leader, too. Well, you know, but he's, he's a guy who knows, Adams is a guy who knows exactly what to say, what to do in the critical moments. I mm. see Weston as a guy that people love to be around. I see Tyler as a guy who's respected amongst the group. And if Tyler speaks, people listen. Weston is the guy you want to be around and everybody gets along with. So that's a different type of leadership. But Weston's big moments in the games, those big key game moments, that's an extremely important thing to have in a leader. So yeah, I agree with you on that sense, but everything screams Tyler Adams for me. He's just, he's just a guy who, who gets what it means to be a leader. Speaking of big moments, what about the case for Christian Pulisic? Because I think we have to acknowledge that this is no longer like the teenage kid who's growing up, right? He has the huge penalty moment against Mexico. He has the shush the crowd moment against Mexico, which might also be bigger. He's rocking the U.S. soccer polo, or what was it, a hoodie, I guess, uh, after they won the Champions League. This is a kid who is embracing more and more being the face of U.S. soccer. I go back to the Players' Tribune article that he wrote a few years ago, where he basically guaranteed that this team would be in Qatar. Why not Christian Pulisic, Herc? Why not Christian Pulisic as the captain of this team? This isn't a bad thing, but Christian Pulisic reminds me a lot of Landon Donovan. Landon had a lot of Christian Pulisic's attributes. He was a guy who not necessarily spoke up in front of the media, in front of the players that much. He was more actions on the field. And many people confused him just because they called him Captain America and he was the face of U.S. soccer as actually being the captain of the U.S. men's national team. That wasn't the case. Claudio Reyna was a captain he was there. And then Carlos Bocanegra was a captain when he was there. And when they weren't around, Michael Bradley was the captain. He had way more times he wore that captain's armband than a player like Landon Donovan. There are reasons for this. It's not that he's not a great player. There are certain players with those attributes to lead, with those attributes to lead not only with the players, but with the press and with the coach in the critical moments. And he was a player that was had an air for the spectacular, but mm -hmm. he wasn't necessarily that captain to the player. So he's on the same scale as, uh, as Landon Donovan, where he may be the face, he may be the shield, but I think there are probably three or four in front of him to be that actual captain. Well, after some doubt, Christian Pulisic will be available to Greg Berhalter for these uh, three upcoming matches. One player, Herc, though, that won't be available, late-breaking news, Timothy Weah, who suffered a thigh injury over the weekend with Lille. Um, I don't know how significant a loss this is, but you figure he would have probably gotten some minutes with the three games. It does open us up to another question. There's now an extra spot up for grabs. Do you think the U.S. should fill it? And who would you like to see get that last spot? I'd love to see the U.S. men's national team fill it. Uh, and if they do give somebody the last spot and his club situation is sorted, let it be Matthew Hoppy. Mm. There, there are a few players who have jumped into the, onto the scene like Matthew Hoppy has this summer. He had an excellent Gold Cup. And, and more than his play, it's his mentality. I really see few players on the U.S. men's national team with that mentality of, I don't care who you are, I'm running over you. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to win. He was not afraid in that final versus Mexico. How many times did we see him getting into the Mexican national team player's face? This is a player who loves that moment, and we already know Greg Berhalter doesn't see him as a nine. He sees him more as a winger. So, if Tim Way is not there, if Timothy Way is not there, and you're going to give somebody that opportunity, 
Let it be Matthew Hoppy. This is my vote to the U.S. men's national team. You know I am uh, the ultimate Matthew Hoppy stand for sure, I but I I'm going to throw another name at you. Cade Cowell. Okay, I know he's only 17 years old, but he's balling out right now for the San Jose Earthquakes. And more than anything, Herc, more than anything, he is a Mexican eligible player. So, in the ever-increasing arms race between these two teams, why not throw him an invite? Here's what Cade Cowell said in April. Quote, it's whoever wants me more. What better way to get him in the fold than inviting oh, him to some World Cup Oh, that's exactly what I want to hear if I'm a fan. Uh, I don't know about he's balling right now. I think Cade Cowell has some very interesting attributes. He's only 17, and you have to take mm -hmm. that with a grain of salt. Like, he could potentially be so much better. He's got four goals, four assists, and the last time he actually scored a goal was 4th of July. The last time he assisted a goal or played 90 minutes in a game uh, was around mid-July. This is a player who I believe is coming off an injury and hasn't very, played very well or very much as of late. And when I got to see him up close in that Liga Mekis versus MLS All-Star game, he was a late scratch because he was actually, he was actually slotted to start in, instead of Diego Rossi. doesn't start, comes on later. He looked a little overwhelmed. He looked like the moment mm. was a little big for him. Like, like maybe he got a little nervous. He's still 17 years of age. I'm not with this. It's an arms race. Let's cap him. Let's get it over with. I think you need to let these players decide. I think Greg Berhalter has been going about this the right way. I've been very critical of U.S. soccer, very critical of a lot of things Greg Berhalter has done. The player recruitment is not one of them. I think they're going down the right way. You have to nurture. You have to let these players breathe and decide for themselves. Don't just cap them to cap them. All right, then. So the last round of World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF begins on Thursday. But we got, you got you covered on Wednesday with some UEFA qualifiers. We got, uh, oh, this should be a good matchup, actually. Wednesday, 2.45 p.m. Eastern time. Norway against the Netherlands. That one on ESPN2 and streaming live on the ESPN app. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Let's turn our, our focus then to MLS, the good, bad, and the ugly from an incredible weekend, rivalry week, of course. El Trafico delivers yet again a spectacular game, ends in a 3-3 draw hurt between LAFC and the LA Galaxy. What is it about this rivalry? It never, never lets us down. Never lets us down. The producer and I were there. I brought my family to the game. The producer, he's got a name, my guy. Okay. Uh, producer Beto, Beto Senor Beto Peralta, <laughs> he was there we were we were with my family my kids love the game i remember one time during the event my wife looks over to me she's from mexico torreon where santos is at she goes this would never happen in mexico i said what she goes look at the amount of galaxy fans and lafc fans sitting together it's a celebration and they always always come out and show out in front of their fans it was a fantastic game honestly i did not expect this type of game especially since they're missing their two biggest stars Right? Hey, how about the uh, Brian Rodriguez goal that we just saw uh, before the Kevin Cabral goal uh, late to, to equalize it for the Galaxy? Uh, goal of the year contender or what? Buscas. Goal of the year favorite? Buscas! Buscas! That's all I wow. want to say about that. Wow. Okay. Okay, fair enough. So it's a, a great game that ends 3-3. Nevertheless, in a draw, someone always goes home just a little bit happier than someone else. Or maybe uh, one of the teams goes home just that little bit more disappointed. Herc, between these two teams, who do you think comes away more disappointed from sharing the points? LAFC. It has to be. Oh, yeah? Yeah. They're, they're at home. They went up 2-1 and then 3-2 only to see it waste away in the final minutes of another home game. Yes, another home game. That's now eight home games where they've dropped points this season, and now they are winless in their last eight. Oh, also, we don't know the timetable on Carlos Vela. We don't know mm. when Carlos Vela is going to be back, and he's been their best player. And now you're going to let us know what? One of the best players may be leaving again soon or maybe leaving now? Oh. 
25 shots, 25 shots for LAFC. I just go back to last week, Herc, when you said who needed it more. I think we both agreed LAFC, not just because of position in the table. Right now, LAFC 11th in the Western Conference. You got the international break coming up. You've also got the end of the transfer window. Uh, and some reports today actually from our Jeff Carlisle. Diego Rossi could be moving. Apparently, Fenerbahce has opened up conversations with LAFC. So I feel like you look at an LAFC team that really needed some good news, Her, They need some good news heading into this international break, and they didn't get it. And more bad news could be coming. That's a huge, huge loss. I mean, obviously, you're going to make some money there, but Diego Rossi is my favorite player to watch in Major League Soccer. He's got all the tools to succeed in Europe. I am convinced of this. Every time I see this kid play, I leave away even more impressed. If they lose Diego Rossi, I don't care how much they make, that is a loss this season. Right. You're going to have to lean on Brian Rodriguez, which up until now you wouldn't have said you could, but boy, that goal uh, over the weekend might, might just change some opinions. All right, let's get to the bad. FC Cincinnati, boy. Okay, so uh, they blow a lead in the Hell is Real Derby. Uh, Hurricane in spectacular fashion. They're up 2-1 in the 80th minute before two goals in two minutes from Miguel Berry sentenced FC Cincinnati to an 11th straight game, Herc, without a win. <laughs> Let me tell you, hell is real is the name of this Clasico. Hell is real for these fan bases. 10-6, and six, the winless streak for both before this game. All right, so you know the name Miguel Berry because one of his brothers, Alejandro, is a researcher for us. Well, how about this interview they got to do on SportsCenter? You know what, Miguel? I've got an idea. I have the perfect person to finish this interview. <laughs> Hi, Miguel. Hi, Miguel. Uh, I got to say, Aunt Susie's going to be disappointed to see that you're not clean-shaven tonight. Uh, not sure what you were thinking. Um, so I got a couple questions for you. Uh, you know I do the stats here. Uh, first thing. Uh, please forward this information to your agent. Among players with 90 minutes played this season, you average the fewest minutes per goal. So make sure you get a little bump in your paycheck by giving that information to your agent, okay? Yeah, I appreciate that. Good to uh, see you, so brother. Good to see you. <laughs> but I got a question for both of you, the Berry Boys on SportsCenter. What does being on the show to share this moment together mean to the both of you? First, Miguel. Um, I think it's just a, a, a demonstration that nepotism is still alive and well in the United <laughs> States. <laughs> no, but it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, he's he's been uh, using company resources to give me uh, tips and tricks uh, in, in upcoming games and give me advanced statistics. And I, I, I owe him a lot. And it's just incredible to see him and, and to, to talk to him. I haven't seen him in a while, so it's, it's good to see him. Alejandro? Yeah, hopefully we get to change that soon. Hopefully I get to see you in Columbus in October. Um, yeah, yeah uh, it's, it's fantastic. I know that our mom would be super proud of us. Wow, what a moment for the Barry brothers, though. Awesome stuff. All right, to the ugly, Herc. Last Friday, dark day in MLS managerial circles. Uh, first off, Freddy Juarez stepping down at RSL. We would find out later to take a, a job as an assistant in Seattle. And then Mark Dos Santos dismissed in Vancouver. With Vancouver, eighth place in the Western Conference, but probably a bigger factor. They lost to Pacific FC of the Canadian Premier League in the Canadian Cup. So that hot seat, Herc, uh, always hot in MLS. Always hot. Vancouver's interesting because, yeah, you lose that game, but they were actually turning the corner. It's still a dump, dumpster fire of an organization. Uh, in their history, they've only finished above ninth place just once. Since 2011, when they came into Major League Soccer, just once overall have they finished above ninth place. And then how bad do you have to be or does the situation have to be for your head coach to want to be an assistant <laughs> coach somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, not a great look for uh, RSL as Freddy Juarez then uh, choosing to move to Seattle. All right, so uh, let's start a new segment here on Football Americas. We're calling it Five Aside, right? It can basically be any top five, but since we're just talking about coaches who have been dismissed or changed jobs, let's make this the top five managers on the MLS hot seat. Now, so the, so the people will know, I pick the names, but Herc, you pick the order, and we're going five, which is the coolest hot seat, to one, which is the hottest hot seat. So who do we have here, then, at number five on our MLS coaches on the hot seat? None other than my good friend, Bob Bradley at LAFC, Herc. No, no chance. Listen, I know LAFC's been struggling, but I find it very hard to think that LAFC is going to get rid of a three-time MLS coach of the year mm -hmm. and one of the mm -hmm. highest win percentages in Major League Soccer in the U.S. Men's National Team's history. I see more likely that Bob Bradley walks away from LAFC before LAFC walks away from Bob Bradley. And, ojo, ojo, Chicago could be an option. 
Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, some good reporting from The Athletic. They reported that Bob Bradley is out of contract at the end of the season. So maybe to your point, we could see him move. Uh, I'm disappointed that you don't think that the seat is hotter here on Bradley, if nothing else, for, for LAFC's ambition. They built a stadium downtown. They brought in Carlos Vela. They got no They're real hardware. They're selling their best player today. They got today. no real hardware. All They're you ever tell me about Vela is the amazing today. atmosphere at Bank of California <laughs> Stadium. Don't Bradley, those fans? Going, what do you want me to do? You just fans my best deserve player. a trophy. Don't they deserve to put some pressure on their coach? Number four, Phil Neville, who is, I mean, we got to give him some credit, right? They've kind of turned it around of late. Okay, kind of. What did Miguel Berry say? Nepotism is alive and well in the U.S. <laughs> Your best friend, David Beckham. There he is. And this isn't all on Phil Neville, but Phil Neville is the direct representation of this just atrocious front office disaster for Inter-Miami. He's ostracized players like Rodolfo Pizarro. Uh, we've seen a little bit, a little bit of hope for Inter-Miami, but not enough. We have him number four. So uh, since they lost 5 nothing. To New England back on July 21st. They've played eight games hurt. They've only lost once. I mean, for a guy in his first season, that seems oh, like a guy who's starting to get the hang of things years. in MLS. Four more years! <laughs> Sad. We'll see. Oh, we'll see. With friends in high places, you never know what's possible. Number three, to Chicago. Rafael Vicky in his uh, second season in charge, the Chicago Fire, then uh, in 10th place in the Eastern Conference, hurt. I guess I should say congratulations. They just snapped a 19-game losing streak on the road. 692 days on the road without a win. No more, but still 10th place. Uh, 11 losses. Only TFC and Austin FC, an expansion team, have more losses than Chicago. And this isn't all on Rafael Wicke. What, what chaos this front office, this whole situation, the, the rebrand, the stadium, everything, everything. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the bigger point here, right? When you think of Chicago, you think of kind of a wasted opportunity. And, and this is a big media market with a huge soccer following. The Chicago Fire are not taking advantage of it. They're not capitalizing on it right now. That may change if you bring in a different coach. I don't know that it would. Number two, oh, FC Cincinnati. We were just talking about how bad they were. Yap Stam, they are 13th out of 14th, Herc, in the East. Listen, they've already let go of their general manager. The next logical choice is going to be the head coach, Jab Stam. 11 straight without a win for this team. They're not very good offensively. They're not very good defensively. They're the worst defensively. Worst defensively. So what do we got going on here? What are we clinging to? What do we have going on? When are you going to call Dennis DeClose Cincinnati ownership and finally get somebody who knows what they're doing? Mm. The only team behind them in the Eastern Conference is Toronto, which kind of tells you just about where you are. The other thing, too, is... Yab Stam, I mean, iconic defender. They've shipped 37 goals this year. 37 goals. That's second worst in MLS. Like, if he can't figure that out, the rest of the field, is there any hope? I don't see it. Tough. I think he's a very, very safe number two on the hot seat. All right, who's number one? Oh, our good friend Tab Ramos down in Houston. Not just because Houston is incredibly hot, but because they are are terrible. They're last in the West. Yeah, and this is probably unfair for Tab Ramos. Matt Jordan, the general manager, was just let go today, relieved mm. of his duty. So if Matt Jordan's gone and a new GM comes in, what do you think he's going to do? 15 games without a win and he's going to stick with you? No, they are a problem. Uh, you, can we start with their DPs? They're playing. They're paying a defender over a million dollars, and their other DP, an attacker, Darwin Quintero, is in the doghouse. We've not heard from him. It is just crazy what's going on in Houston, and Tab Ramos, well, he's on the hot seat. Yeah, talk about markets that aren't being capitalized. I think you could make a good argument that Houston's another one. You mentioned the long, the long winless streak. I think their last win was back in May. The other factor here, Vancouver. new ownership. New ownership in Houston. You know how new owners are. They always want to put their stamp on things. So maybe you're telling me James Harden's okay with this? James Harden. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, James Harden is the one that's uh, that's going to be pulling the strings there. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8 SAVE. That's the number eight, S A V E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. 
Better because it has to be. Julian Green of Reuter Firth then joins us here on Football Americas. Julian, how you doing? And on a scale of 1 to 10, rate my pronunciation of your, of your current employers. <laughs> Everything good, thank you. Um, yeah, I, would, I would give it a, an 8. <laughs> hey! I take that! <laughs> yeah, my man's feeling generous today. My man's feeling generous today. Okay, so uh, let's get to it. You know, we just saw the video of a lot of your, your big goals. Uh, during the run to get this team promoted. What was that run like? I mean, what's the feeling of getting promoted into the Bundesliga for this club? Yeah, it's an, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable feeling. Um, I mean, I had, uh, <clears throat> I had the chance to do it uh, the second time in my career. Um, like the, the, the first time I did it with, with, with Stuttgart in 2017. Um, but with... Greta Fürth, it was it was a different story. Like it was um, like no one really expect to expect us to 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 do it. Um, so it was an unbelievable feeling, unbelievable uh, season, and um, yeah, we are very proud of that. You know, Julian, you exploded onto the scene at eighteen, really out of nowhere for a lot of people. And now you're twenty six. You're still very young. What has changed this season for you personally? Because you're scoring goals, nine goals, you're putting up assists, you know, you're playing in a different position. What has changed for you personally? Um, the, the biggest thing what, what, what changed um, to the to other seasons, um, I think, is that, yeah, we, we, we got a, a good plan, we got a, a good team, and, of course, a, a very good coach um, who... Yeah, gave us gave us the plan. He wants how how he wants to play, and um, the good thing is that it fits to to my style of playing. And um, I think that was that was a, a, um, a big difference to to all the other years. Um, it doesn't it doesn't started pretty well, I would say here in Fürth. Like the first year, we almost got promoted. To, uh, we almost went down to to the third division. And um, yeah, after the, um, yeah, after Stefan Lytle came to the team, everything changed, and also for me, um, yeah, it went in a different direction then. You played in a lot of different roles. What do you think is your best position? My best position is is the eight, like in the middle. Um, I can also play the ten or maybe on the wing, but my my best position is um, is the eight. Go ahead, Eric. No apologies. Uh, you talk about your best position um, in this role in the Bundesliga. It's the eight, but you're scoring goals. Talk to me about the tactical presence of this. You said he's got a good game plan, your coach. What is the tactical responsibility for you getting those positions to score goals? He always say like um, like the eight, the position eight is like a a box to box player. So he, of course, he wants me to be to be in the box and um, being dangerous in, in in front of the goal. And on the other side, um, be be strong defensively. And um, that's the thing he he wants from the eight. And I think last season um, was my personally my best best season. Um, uh, yeah, with with nine goals and um, two assists in the league, so um, yeah, that's that's how he he sees that role, and um, me personally also. Julian, you, talk about you, career, you, know, you broke you broke through with Bayern Munich, and you obviously had a very small role, right? Played a couple Champions League games, were on the reserve team. What's the difference between being a Bayern Munich player with a smaller role and then kind of the bigger role, the more veteran presence that you have now in your current club? Um, yeah, it's a big difference. I mean, <clears throat> at that time at Bayern, um, in my opinion, um, when I played there, they they had the yeah the best the best squad they ever had, and um, so I was a very young player, so it was hard to. Yeah, compare with all these top stars at this time, and um, yeah, I got my playing time at at Greta Fürth, and um, of course I have a, a different role now. Um, it's my fifth year now here in Fürth, and 
we have a, I think we have the second youngest team in the Bundesliga. So um, yeah, I have a big role here, and I want to show it on the field. Let's stay there with that Bayern Munich team. You played under some very, you had experience with some very good coaches, Pep Guardiola, Carlo Ancelotti. You had Champions League experience, Club World Cup. Lewandowski, Thiago, Xavi Alonso, that type of player. Maybe you didn't go the way you wanted, but what did you take from that experience? Uh, almost everything. Like um, I had the chance to, to train with them every day, and um, yeah, it was how I said um, it was for me the best team they ever had at this time, and um, yeah, it was just just the, the the quality of training was just different uh, i remember when i uh went on loan to to hamburg <clears throat> after the world cup um like it was like the first time i was in a different club who, who also played in the bundesliga and after some trainings there i thought like okay it's a very big difference between Bayern and um like hamburg at the time so i was a little bit uh, shocked like from the like nothing against against the quality from Hamburg, but it was like a, a big difference. Um, yeah, that was it. What's it like playing under Pep? I mean, that's got to be a for a player kind of a dream, and then you get to do it. You know, what do you take away from from that time under a manager that everybody says is, if not the best in the world, among the best? Yeah, it was um, it was a very nice time. Like it was a a dream. Um, I remember I. I, I I played in the under nineteen team at the time, and then Pep came and um, yeah, he wanted me to to train in the preseason with the with the first team. So um, yeah, it was was just a dream to to train under him, to play under him, and um, he's a um, world class world class coach. Julian, we've already mentioned age eighteen, a World Cup. You know, score a goal in the World Cup, uh, Club World Cup, Champions League, Ancelotti, Pep Guardiola, the amount of quality you played with. But every footballer goes through these moments that are hard, that are difficult. What was the most difficult experience for you, you know, thus far as a footballer? Because you're still only 26 years old. Uh, hardest part, yeah, it was probably in Hamburg. Um, because, yeah, how I said, it was right after the, after the World Cup. And um, yeah, then Hamburg wanted me, and I thought it, it's it's a good, uh, it's the right uh, step to to go to Hamburg. And after two weeks, I think the the coach who wanted me got fired, and um, yeah, since then they never really gave me a fair chance again. So um, yeah, I think I made like five games for them, and um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty hard year in Hamburg, and. Um, yeah, it made me stronger. Julian, you had a pretty good season last year, so much so that you know how it is. Whenever you start scoring goals, your name gets into the transfer links, the rumor mill. Uh, we heard a lot of it back here in the United States around Major League Soccer. Did you ever consider come close to a move in MLS? Is that something that, that, that would have interested you at the time or somewhere down the road? Um, yeah, MLS is, is always, always interesting. Um, I mean, my my dad still lives uh, in the in the states, so um, it's always interesting um, MLS. But right now, my focus is on on Europe. Um, how you said, I'm still 26, so I think I I still have a yeah a lot of time to to yeah also yeah play in Europe and maybe also make the the next step in Europe. And um, but of course, MLS is always always on my mind and um, you never know what will happen in the future. What is the next step in Europe? What would it be if you could draw it up and you look at your career where you might want to go? What would that dream next step be? Um, right now, my next step is, is to, to, um, yeah, to, to stay in the Bundesliga with Greta Fürth. Um, I think that's, that's the biggest goal for all of us this season. And um, yeah, also for me personally, just to to improve my game, um, also in the Bundesliga, and try to to have the same impact in our game like I had um, last year in the second division. Yeah, Seb brought up 
you being interested in Major League Soccer, it makes me think there are some Major League Soccer teams that can use you. Has there been any contact with Major League Soccer and their teams to you or your camp? Um, there are, there are a little bit of contact, but I, I don't really know about this contacts, but, um, my agent, um, told me about some, yeah, some interests and, um, yeah, how you said they're very interesting, um, teams, very interesting cities and, um, yeah, we will see. What about the, uh, international level, the U S national team, before we get into kind of the current, you know, I think your story joining the team when you did is, is such an interesting story, especially in light of how many dual nationals we have on the team now. You know, there seems like every week there's a, a Mexican-American kid, a Colombian-American kid, a German-American kid who's who's being mentioned, um, you know, to, to choose. You had to make that choice. You had to file for the one-time switch from Germany to the U.S. I know it was a long time ago, but what do you remember about that process? What was it like for you as a, as a on a personal level, you know? Um... Now, when when I think about it, it wasn't it wasn't a hard ch ch uh, choice because um, I remember uh, I I got invited in a, in a um, training camp um, and it was in Frankfurt at that time and um, yeah after after one hour I I knew that I want to play for for the for the US um, I mean everybody was 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 very nice to me I remember Clint Dempsey. Gave me a jersey with the, I think the number seven. So they, it was was a good move from them. And um, <laughs> um, yeah, after I, how is that? After one hour, sure to play for the U.S. and um, it was the right choice. Let's talk about that decision from Jurgen Klinsmann to take you to the World Cup. It was a very controversial decision because Julian Green, this very young kid that. A majority of people had not heard of or seen goes to the World Cup over a U.S. men's national team legend, Landon Donovan. Talk to me about just how you felt in that moment. Was it difficult for you? Did you feel like you were being maybe unfairly portrayed? What were your feelings going in? The feelings going into the World Cup or that I... Once the decision was made. Like once the decision was made, I, I just I just can't remember. <laughs> I was just really happy. That was yeah. the only thing was uh, what was on my mind. Um, because at this time we already were like in training camp, and um, um, yeah, after that um, we knew this is the squad who 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 goes to the to the World Cup. And I remember, um, yeah, when I heard when I heard it that I'm on the squad, I can't. I can't describe it. I was just happy, and um, I didn't think about some some people who say, "Oh, he he goes uh, for Landon Donovan or something like that." Because I think that's also not like it's not fair to to say it like that. That I go for Landon Donovan. That's um, so. I was just happy. Yeah, I bet you were happy when you scored against Belgium too. Walk us through that moment because, I mean, it's it's just a, like a classic World Cup moment. The kid gets his one shot and he comes good. Yeah, it's um, the moment I will really, I will never, never forget. Um, I think it was my, my first touch in the game and um, was a pretty... Pretty nice pass from from Michael Bradley and um, yeah. After that goal, I thought we 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 still have the the chance to to make it two two. But um, at the end, I very sad that we that we didn't make it. But yeah, if you look up, um, you can be you can be um, yeah. How is that? It, it was against that, that Belgian team too. A very good team. Everybody that plays in a World Cup has this like pinch me moment like oh my god i'm playing in the world cup i i remember mine distinctly do you remember yours like what were you what what made you realize like this is a world cup and i'm in a world cup what was your moment um it's hard to say because i think i came in an extra time so all the, the other players they they looked like they were very tired and i was <laughs> i was very fresh so um 
Yeah, but when I when I when I um, saw the ball in the net, it was just a feeling. Oh, I just scored in the in the World Cup, and um, yeah. So when I, when I see the ball in the net, that was the moment when I thought, okay, it was a a good goal. <laughs> Let's talk current national team. How close do you feel to the to the current U.S. team to breaking into the twenty three? You know, we got the qualifying list coming out soon. Um, is that something that's on your radar? Are you kind of constantly looking to see if, if you're going to be involved? Yes. Uh, and of course, um, get invited for, for the national team and help the national team. Um, that's, my, that's my biggest goal. And um, yeah, then we will see. All right, Herc, maybe we should have given uh, Julian Green some love as a potential Tim Way replacement on the roster, huh? Well, you can uh, listen to the other 20 minutes of interview right now if you want, or tomorrow, I should say, on the uh, podcast. Absolutely. 26 minutes with Julian Green. Speaking of interviews on Thursday, Herc goes one-on-one -on -one with the greatest. Jorge Campos here on Football America. Should be a great show as we preview all of the World Cup qualifying action.